Okay, greetings everyone. This is Vernon English, aka V, once again. And I'm just updating earlier just because I feel like updating. And I'm thankful for the people that are listening. And having these updates gives me the opportunity, like I always say, to come with more content. And I'm just going to comment a little bit more about the Green King and the Little Litigator of Celestial. And this is the second part and third. Now, with what I was describing in the last one was that they were at this council. And so, just an update of what the storyline was going on. Now, these are these beings or beings from wherever they hail from in wherever part of the universe have come to meet underneath Celestial's Earth and underneath their surface to have this meaning about what should happen to the surface world or what happened in the surface world in the first place. Now, basically, the delegates are from their own respective clans or own respective realms. They're, I wanted to allude that they were the caretakers of it and that the surface was a shared place to caretake or have all of them watch over and that's why they were having a meeting in the first place. Now, I never alluded to it, but basically you had the Green Kings, you had the, a giant, you had a giant figure like Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy, you had a sand angel, you had a mermaid slash angel, and many other different figures that were there. And I, I described it and when it says, and you'll see here, it says, um, and this is the Little Litigator of Celestial Part 2, it said, Entering a circle, the air became damper than lies, sucking the air, or sucking the dry air and fear from spine with the mythological lore. A tree-like being sat in a chair made from himself, saying not a word, looking to the young man for it as if it were a chore. Next to him was a most beautiful simula with hair to the floor, multicolored violet, and skin scaled with fanciful colors he had never seen heretofore. So, basically describing these characters was a first time and just to wrap one's mind around being young and seeing things for the first time, then seeing unimaginable things for the first time is something it's a threshold thing I it's like lying in the wardrobe or something like this when one goes through a mystical journey and then gets used to seeing not normal things and I never wanted that to be an instance where a character would get used to anything whether it be normalcy or something out of the norm and everything would in a sense be a surprise because life is just that and so he even had um, an older green king and it says here devoid of armor sat stroking his beard of vines a smile grew upon his majestic face tiny little beetles flew around his brow he winked as the young man Fred walked past but he was not sure as to how the giant with legs as wide as trees themselves sat upon a stump that held his weight surreal wearing armor of fur the young man Freud looked closely upon the revelation that his chest was alive. 
with bearish looking beings that were beyond frightening. And so for this, and I wanted to make each and every one of these characters unique. And there are so many different ways. And this is me to one author to the next. And it seems like I'm an esteemed author with these four books, but the three books that I've written and the fourth in the process, I have at least in these years have come to this culmination of understanding that I have not a process because it's not a routine, but a way of gaining what it is that I'm trying to express. And by doing so, I have different ways of accessing that. And what I mean by that is if you have an app or something and you have a note, and so you put a note down and then you come back to said note by adding more things to it. And then after you have a good amount of material, then you craft it or mold it as if it were clay. And for me, all of these characters had that sense of ability of me doing so for them because I did it in my head. And so I would see something about something or character and I like it. And so then I would be like, okay, okay, I like that, I like. And then just take a, a tribute or take a piece of what that character had if it was armor, if it was eye color, if it was an eyebrow, anything, and start piecing together something that I liked about a character that made it unique and my own. It's an interesting concept of doing that because you have to remember what it is that you put in your mind or in the notes. And this is one of those instances of me doing so because I remember just sitting back and I'm like, okay, I wanted this character, I wanted that character. I wasn't even reading uh, Attack on Titan or any of these other different types of mangas or comic books, but I wanted it to have an homage to certain things that I like. And as an artist, and I'll, I'll interject this too, when we borrow certain things, there's a sense of paying an homage to the original content and without ripping the entire thing or the concept in itself. So people only analyze that and just see it as a, a copy of it versus your own content. And that's one of the things as an artist that you have to understand that other artists borrow and other artists steal, but how do you differentiate the difference of that when you have the same tools as everyone else? And, and I'm a master at this because I am not classically trained in any sense of the word. I went to one class to like Shakespeare and that was when I was like, I don't even know, 21 or something like this. I've never taken an art class as far as professionally. I've taken one art class maybe back in middle school, not even high school. And to pay on homage to something is to you take something, right? And once again, I'll analogize, analyze it or make an analogy to clay. 
you take something and you have it and it's already molded as a template and so you have a template but you go over that said template with your own designs and your own meticulous things to make it your own and that's how you make your art unique and that's how you make it your own literally it creates a sense of style it creates all these other different things I can't even put into words and this is one of those instances and you get the picture and what I'm trying to and inevitably explaining that these characters were based off of something but I warped them changed them gave them a plight gave them something in life to go for and it just became something entirely different that I can't even put into words and it was cool because then I could come back the way that I do and the way that I knew that I was going to and get inspired again and so I'm like okay I like this oh I could go and give this character a great great backstory I could give them an exposition and, and all this history and that's what I'm doing for the fourth book when I'm reading these things and that's why I love explaining it to you and it, it just comes around full circle when there's lessons or not lessons but specifically a message that I wanted to put in there and so it says that we have come this day to decide on the fate of this world. Let it be known that this is henceforth, henceforth called the great decision. All of the delegates returned to their seats as did the young man for a confused yet intrigued. Nothing in Celestial could compete with his luck for earlier in the day he awoke and the stench of bodies piled atop of his own, suffocating the breath from which he was reborn. All right. And so that was where we left off at the last joint, which was Celestial Part 2. And so the third was just basically the meeting and what it is that they were discussing and when I was saying in the last is that to have a child in the discussion of the fate of hundreds of thousands of souls of the world itself is almost as if it was not a joke but something quite serious and he's the only litigator to defend celestial or defend the world in itself and i thought that was an interesting concept in itself so he says uh, he sat in a chair of roses dumbfounded the circumstances did that mean that he was the only one of his kind here looking up from the ground the leaves fuchsia to the core ignoring the gla the glares and second glances the winged femula sat sighing she grabbed her brow whilst resting her elbow on an arm of flowers when court sat silent for a few moments, the wind sills danced on the leaves. Time made no movements. How could any of this be real? The young man for a thought. His heart beat loudly upon his chest, thumping, as if to send a message to mine announcing this instinct, usurper, the new owner to bring. The winged female leaned over and said, There is much you do not know or remember. We cannot help that. Her sorrow tender eased his fears that deafens his lingering tenacity to find the joy in the task. Awareness his crown, a shift in energy burst out through the mouth of the sand angel. How dare you bring this kind among my existence? His lack of knowledge offends me. The golden armored prince frowned, the jolly giant cheesed. The winged femula's eyes swam around. 
Fate is one of the things we all accept in this world. I sit at the head of this chair because of this swirl, the symbol in which we all give birth. Cataclysms curl at this new earth. We all agree something's mysterious is amiss. Why not hear from the mouth of someone with undeniable innocence? And so, basically what happened was that the sand angel, which I give some origins to in earlier in this audiobook series, and then just to give an explanation because they are the first instance of something that I had seen of it before. I've never seen a sand angel before. And to give some cosmic awareness to who they were. They weren't from this said dimension. And their existence in itself became at behest of turmoil and them being angry at things and them having their own plight. And I wanted that to be known right off of the bat that they were not in agreement of how to treat the surface world or beings or humans or femulas or manfreuds that there was some sense of them not looking down on them but some sense of angst at everything and exceptionally them and so I wanted that to come off in his speech and in his character and I wanted that to be the first thing that that came from his mouth was that why is they why why are they here they're Lack of knowledge offends me. Their lack of awareness offends me. It's basically what he's saying. And the woman and the goddess that called the said meeting was the first one to interject and defend the young one and the little boy and to say that if he is here, then... Obviously, there is some reasoning for him to be there in the first place. It's not just by chance of fate. And obviously, other people had retainers and other people had their kingdoms there hiding uh, in defense. But this was one that actually attended the meeting and actually sat down amongst all of these other kings and queens. I thought it was a, a very curious and funny scene to have someone upset at this. And she basically said that it was by chance of fate that it is not that he was here. And so he basically says, let not our words be spoken into the cosmos, lest it be repeated by someone who does not understand the circumstances. Death, the only one missing in attendance for his mission, far too busy. Speaking not of the past leavings, I ask you, of you youngling, is the surface worth saving? And so that was basically the big reason for the young one being there is that they didn't have eyes on the surface world, but they had eyes everywhere else. Celestial was far too big, literally. And this isn't even counting multi-dimensional and multi-timeline basis. It's just off of where and how grand the scale of a planet the size of the sun is. And everything on their mind and the reasoning for them holding this said important meeting because they have their own things that they're doing was to see, like, is the world, is the surface world worth saving? Or should we just leave it and not inter intervene? Or intervene in a certain way that seems like they're not intervening at all? 
there were so many things to be asked and questioned. And the young man for I spoke, and he says, the world above is life. I do not understand why memories cause so much strife. Something so fickle, static, can break one's everything when they are alive. Teeming with riches beyond compare, lucky enough, some don't have hair. A quarter flashed through the court, short of the white wing fimula. The young one continued, My message is that I do not know what a trial is. If something curdled, I would, it would define holding on to what was, which in reality is changing. My answer to what is happening above is that it was meant to happen? The destruction, the wars, the misunderstanding? It is up to us to listen. The circle fell silent. Perhaps death was in attendance. The young man for it spread his misgivings. And so, basically from this, I wanted to end each time as if it was a scene from an after-school Twilight Zone special or something where they had not a flat note, but it drew the reader in more and more to finish what it was that was being said. And so with that, ironically enough, wisdom comes from this young one's mouth where he's basically saying that I don't particularly understand where these things are happening and he says that he doesn't understand where having loss of memories causes a problem there's there's so many things weighted on it the the wars the destruction the misunderstandings and he's basically saying uh, it's basically up to us to figure out what's truly going on if we're truly listening or are we just watching and and the whole entire court, all of the other kings and queens sat in reverence as if this was one of them speaking. And I wanted that to be of note as well is that it wasn't just the young one speaking. It was, but wherever he came from and however it happened, it was wisdom and some sense of knowledge coming from his brow. And Honestly, if you brought a kid to an, an important meeting, they'll be talking about something else or cartoons or playing a video game and asking someone else to play. But this kid in particular was just observing and soaking in everything that was happening. And so if you asked him, hey, what do you think about life? What If you ask a kid, what, what do you think about all the things the adults do? Is it all right? Is it cool? What do you think? And the kid will give you his honest answer. Nine times out of ten. And depending on nature versus nurture and how well or developed their own vocabulary is, they'll give an in-depth description as to why they think of that or that way. And this is one of those instances where obviously his speech is a bit more advanced, but to come into understanding that I never explained where he hailed from, his origins, anything. I just had him wake up in a pile of bodies, dead bodies at that. And he just basically says, I, I don't understand why memories cause so much trouble. Something that is your memory can destroy your everything? And you don't even have hair? And how is this to happen? My answer is just, 
It is up to us to listen. It's up to us to understand why these things are happening or why they are supposed to happen versus us being upset at this simple happening because it's already happened. To understand that, we have to basically get a better understanding as to how quicksand works. And if you are to drag a zebra out of quicksand to put an olive branch down wouldn't necessarily work, but to put a giant branch down or to actually have a root and to drag that thing out of it without dragging yourself into it is inevitably the message that I get from what the young one just said. And he didn't even allude by saying it. And that's what I wanted as an underlying theme message that no one even said to come from his mouth. So that's all. I just wanted to comment on that. There's many, many other things and instances that I will explain. And it's just an interesting interpretation of what uh, Council would have if this was a sci-fi, Final Fantasy, Lord of the Rings, whatever you want to call it, fashion. You have more content. I'm so thankful for you guys listening. Hit the subscribe button. I'm updating more. Bless you so much. This is Vernon, aka V. And yes, this is Hearing Colors to Kill Sounds, the Trial of the Little Litigator, part three.